The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Today, I'm going to wrap up the message on the fruit of the Spirit that Jonathan's been talking about for the last two weeks. Um, And I don't know how many of you know that on Tuesday is a big celebration, should be, in the UK. It's the 82nd year since Winston Churchill became your Prime Minister. Woo! I know some of you are big fans. I know some of you are really big fans, so don't hold in. Um, But one of the interesting things about Winston Churchill is when he came to office on May 10th, 1940, he immediately addressed an issue that was a big problem. Historians point out that when Winston Churchill entered Downing Street on May 10th, he could not accept that the Germans' rapid victories across Norway and Western Europe could be attributed solely to superior weaponry, tactics, and fighting spirit. There must, he concluded, be a fifth columnist at work behind the lines. He was also convinced that fifth columnists must be at work in Britain, And he wanted to root them out and have them destroyed. So when he came to office, he found out that there were laws on the books for people who were traitors. But there weren't laws on the books to treat people who came into the territory that were not um, submissive to to the throne. So there was no treachery clause. So the Treachery Act, within 13 days, became law. Very fast, apparently, here for uh, um, laws in England. In fact, the law was so quick... The day it was presented, it, went, it was only in the House of Lords for a few minutes. And the very same day, the king signed off on it, or officially gave his royal consent. So the Treachery Act went right through. It was an issue Winston Churchill felt needed to be addressed in World War II. Had to be. It was an important matter that needed to be taken care of. Um, and history proves him to be right. His assumption that there were traitors working in Norway was absolutely correct. Historians also tell us that German forces, the month before, this is April 9th, the month before he he came into office, German forces were able to slip through the mines Britain had laid around Norwegian ports because local garrisons were ordered to allow the Germans to land unopposed. So although there was mines in all the ports, there was a saboteur involved. The order came from a Norwegian commander loyal to Norway's pro-fascist former foreign minister. His name, some of you might know, is Vidkun Quisling. I don't know. I didn't know his name. Hopefully some of you did. Hours after the invasion, the German minister in Oslo demanded Norway surrender. The Norwegian government refused, and the Germans responded with a parachute invasion and establishment of a puppet regime led by Quisling. And today, the name Quisling in Norway is synonymous with traitor. Okay? Pastor Jonathan has been talking about this battle, this tension between the flesh and the spirit. When we are born again, 
The Spirit of God comes to live in us and we're to be a new creature, a new creation. However, as Jonathan has pointed out, there's something there that doesn't make it easy, okay? We are constantly surrounded by uh, sin in the culture. We're surrounded by spiritual darkness. But yet there's something even worse. There's something inside of us that is making life difficulty. Paul even refers to it as a war sometimes. We have a saboteur within us, okay? And we have to deal with it just as Churchill did. We have to take it as a serious matter because it's one thing to have a battle outside your borders, but it's entirely another one to have it in your own house. Amen? So, just to catch us up even to closer dates, there's so much sabotage going on right now in Ukraine and Russia. It's, it's fascinating to me. I watch maybe far too much of it. But um, there was a bridge blown up the other day in Russia that they say was sabotage by one of the Russians who wanted to help the Ukrainians. The opposition member uh, of Belarus announced the other day that there were 80 acts that she could count of sabotage against the Russian invasion into Kiev. Do you remember that long four-mile four line of trucks and, and convoy, the convoy of uh, tanks and stuff that was going into Kiev? Part of that was delayed because saboteurs in Belarus who love their Ukrainian brothers and sisters sabotaged the train lines and the um, supply routes. So that was sabotage going on there. Um, the same today is true in our fight of faith. It's one thing, as I said, to deal with darkness outside, but it's a whole nother to deal within. If we look again at Galatians, where Jonathan started out, we can see that the saboteur is producing a certain kind of fruit within us. And the new life, the spirit of God within us, is trying to create something else. So let's look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that saboteur within us, the natural sin nature, that's what it naturally produces. It produces all those wicked things that are contrary to the spirit within us. Then let's turn to um, Galatians 5.22. The rightful authority in the believer is the Spirit of God. The one in charge is the Spirit of God. He has a rightful authority when we give our lives to Him. His Spirit comes within us. It doesn't just stay outside. It comes within our hearts. And this is what the Spirit of God naturally will produce within us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you want some of that? <laughs> oh, come on. How many of you want some of that? How many would like a little more love? Okay, now, if you don't want a little more love, spouses, how many want a little more love from your spouses? <laughs> okay, joy. Okay, if you don't want more joy, do you want it from your colleagues? 
okay? These are good things. Peace, forbearance. Oh, sometimes I would love to have peace between the children and the home. Oh, my. God, let it be so. Let it be so. Can all the parents say amen? Amen. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the Spirit of God within us is working actively to produce this in our lives. I love Romans 7 because it underlines this more. And Jonathan has read this to us. But if you don't know Romans 7, you just need to read it today. Romans 6, 7, 8, or 7, 8, 9. Because it is so honestly human here. You talk about the great St. Paul who went to his so much trouble, got stoned and beaten and everything. Listen how honestly he speaks about this tension, this battle, this conflict with the saboteur within him. We're going to turn to Romans 7, and I'm going to start at 15, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. That's Paul, the one who's all made up in stained glass and everything. This man had issues, he's saying. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I didn't want to yell at my colleague. I didn't want to come in angry but I did it anyways. You know that, ah, why did I do it? But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin, that sin nature, that saboteur that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, in the saboteur. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do. Um, I've lost myself. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. It's kind of a tongue twister in some ways, huh? But this is honest. This isn't playing games. When I first read that, I thought, oh, there's hope for me. There's hope. I know this. I don't get a lot of the Bible, but this I understand. This makes clear sense to me. Why can't I live the way I want? Why is the door wide open to condemnation? Why do I not feel like a good Christian? Why do I feel so less than what the promises say I can have? Because there's a battle within. But it doesn't end there. If you jump down to verse 24, Paul's being honest again. He said, wretched man that I am. Ah, When you do what you do not want to do, you can feel wretched. And when it becomes a pattern, you feel wretched. Who will deliver me from this body of death. Okay. I'm going to stop here. The next verse will come up, but he doesn't say um, Barnabas' self-help book. Okay? He doesn't say trying harder is the answer. He doesn't say my piety, my devotion, my strong will will get me through. None of it. Hogwash. Garbage. What does he say? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
the one who gave his spirit into you when you were born again does not leave us where we are and expect us to work it out. In fact, Paul in Galatians says it very humorously a few times. He says, who's bewitched you? Those of you, you started in the spirit by faith. Are you now trying to perfect yourself by your own works? What? You can't do it. If you try to make yourself better in one way with your own efforts, you know what happens? You've got a dozen little, um, like those little pacmos. You're like, oh, that's a problem. Other things begin to pop up if it's all in our own effort. The only one who can rescue us from the saboteur within us is Jesus Christ. Okay? So if it's all Jesus, though, if everything's Jesus, why is it so rough? What is my part in taking care of the saboteur? What do I have to do so that this saboteur, his voice, his actions begin to diminish in my life and I see the fruit that I really want? That's what I want to cover today. What do you need to do to see this happen? As a footnote, because I skipped past it, do you know Romans is a book we should all know? Romans is the book that changed Martin Luther's life. When he read Romans 5, we're justified by faith, I have peace with God through, my, through Jesus Christ, it changed the world. What God did in his heart through Romans changed everything. Romans also blasted St. Augustine. He's one of the greatest thinkers of all time. In fact, he lived right in, in South Kent or off in Southeast England. Augustine was part. He's one of the greatest Christian thinkers. He's on my list of people to research more because I've only heard bits and pieces. But Romans, I just learned, changed his life. Romans is a book you should read. If you're wondering where to start in the Bible, you should read the Gospels, of course. But pick up Romans. There's honesty in here that can relate to your heart. Why do I do what I do not want to do? Who will rescue me? All right? Um, now, I'm going to jump to the Gospels in Luke chapter 7 because there is a, a parable Jesus told that illustrates this flesh versus spirit. When one of the Pharisees, oh, Luke 7, verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. Note that she's weeping first. And then she begins using those tears to wash his feet. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed and poured perfume on them. When, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, a huge bag, and one owned just a little bag tiny bag, 50 denarii. 
Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both of them. Now which one will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? As if he could have missed her, you know. She's weeping in his house. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little also loves little. So in this story, we have two people. One has this massive weight of sin forgiven. She comes with desperate hope. She knows she's a sinful woman. She's made her way into a Pharisee's house, completely um, not paying attention to society's rules and the status. She bows down and just begins to weep at Jesus' feet. Take that in just for a moment. How often do you go to a dinner party and somebody comes in and weeps at somebody's feet? It should like stir in our hearts. Who is Jesus? That people would do such a thing that they would stop their lives and stop the things that are wealthy to them and pour them at his feet and wash his feet with their tears and kiss his feet. This had to have been a scene. This had to have been something you couldn't miss in the room. Now it says that Jesus, because of her great sins, she loved much. Note, that he never says, you have a little bag of sin, Simon. He just says, basically, you love little because you've only been forgiven for a little. You have a whole lot more sin that you can't even sin. see. That's what I'm seeing in this parable. It's not that you're better than this woman. She sees her sin. She's seen my face. And she's loving because she knows she's forgiven. She has repented. You can't even see your sin to repent. And measure it for a minute. If somebody came to your house and started weeping over somebody else's feet, and they're crying and weeping, and your first thought was, what's this sinful woman doing? And you're a Pharisee? You're a religious leader? That is the flesh. That is the flesh. That is judgment, hostility. That is not the things of the Spirit of God that he wants to put in our hearts. Here, Jesus, I think it would have been uncomfortable for him to have somebody kiss his feet. I don't know. I've never asked for that. That's a bit odd. But he never stops her. You see that the woman naturally expresses love, and that is the Spirit of God. Love is coming from her. That fruit is naturally being produced. Where in in the Pharisee, what some people have referred to as religious flesh, is just unpleasant and nothing that's going to change the world. So, as you know, Jesus has also said later in Luke, or actually previously in Luke, 
He says, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The Pharisee was completely unaware of the corruption within himself, the sin. But naturally what's coming out of him is judgment. He's unable to even ask for forgiveness because he doesn't see it in himself. My first point in cooperating with the Spirit of God, because it is only Jesus Christ that can bring victory over the saboteur within us, that instead of responding with religious flesh and judgment when we see people, and we respond with love, it is his work. What is the first thing? Now, there's a lot in Galatians. There's a lot in Romans about this battle, this tension. But I want to just pull out three. Everything has to do with cooperating with God. That is your part. Humility is powerful. Realizing that you cannot overcome. That's why when after you've tried and tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed and failed and you finally just say, God, why? Oh, wretched man that I am. He comes. Because now you're willing to receive his help. You've come to the end of yourself and he says, here, I can help. I can help the way you treat your wife. I can help the way you treat your colleagues. I can help the way you treat your extended family. I can help in these circumstances. I can bring peace. I can make love come out of your heart. And we're willing to have that happen when we're humble. Christian maturity, maturity is not getting ourselves to a place where we don't need God anymore. We can just do it on our own. Christian maturity is learning to quickly turn to God. That is maturity. The sooner we turn to the one who can save us, that is maturity. Not trying to figure out everything ourselves, but turning to him. God, please help. And you know, there's sometimes in prayer where that humility comes through that I have felt traction in the prayers. They're not just me saying words anymore, but there's something that is gaining ground. And you can begin to feel it within your heart. And your cry comes out, God, please. There is a place in prayer where you can touch real motion, real movement, because God is there working on our behalf. He is for us. He is not idly sitting by. He's waiting for us to cooperate with him. And humility is the first thing. This is the verse I mentioned before. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. And this is Paul talking to people that he loves, people that he led to Jesus. He's saying throughout the whole book of Galatians, he's saying, come on, guys. How did you get so mixed up? How did you get so far from where I left you? He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Okay, let's slow down there because I read that too quickly. I would like to learn one thing from you, Paul says. Did you receive the Spirit of God by the works of the law? Did you earn it? Did you do works to get the Spirit of God? Or did you get it by believing what you heard? And the answer is, by simply, by faith, believing in the message of the gospel. They receive the Spirit of God by simply saying, I believe that Jesus died 
for my sins. He was crucified and he's come to give me new life. Verse 3, are you so foolish then? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Hebrews says Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's not just the author. He did not just set us up and say, okay, now go try it on your own. Christian maturity constantly says, I need you, God. And it's a practice of turning to him quicker and quicker. Point two, remain connected to Jesus. In John, we know in John 15, 4, it says, remain in me also as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Monitor influences in your life. What are you spending the most amount of time in your life on? TV shows, news. In my case, news is a battle, okay? But too much of it, not that it's bad, too much of it can begin to make our hearts grow cold, hindering the production of fruit, okay? And how, where do I get this from? You've been saved. You have the Spirit of God in you. You have a saboteur. There's, there's a world around us also coming against us. And what we put around us can strengthen that saboteur. If it's constantly filling it with bad things, the saboteur is getting fed. Don't feed the saboteur, okay? Don't feed it. Don't give it anything to live off, okay? Don't, don't care about the rules of war, okay? Starve it, okay? If a prisoner of war, just let it die, okay? This one. This one can die, okay? We do not want to feed the saboteur. And we do that by remaining connected to Jesus and monitoring the influences in our life. Now, if we look at Matthew 24, in a verse that maybe doesn't seem to connect with this too much, it says, in the end, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus has given a pretty clear warning that if we keep our eyes on the evil around us, and there's a lot in these days, you can't help but feel a twinge within you if you're not weeping over what's happened in Buka and, and Irpine and, and, and Mariupol. I mean, these are terrible things, but there's much more than that. I mean, we see it on the news all the time. Painful divorces between people, um, movie stars, just awful things. And if you just saturate in those things, you are feeding the saboteur. Point three, when in trouble, get help, okay? All of these have to do with humility. When we continue to struggle with sin or something that's producing bad fruit in our life, we need to get help. Once again, we are touching on that importance of humility. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Once again, we are touching on the importance, I've said three times, the importance of humility. All right, I have shared my message, but I want to conclude with the words at the end of Galatians. You know that God is for you. You should. If you don't, you need to be sure of it. You need to be anchored in it. Romans 8.32 is one of my favorite verses that I go to when I get shaken. 
And the language of it is hard to kind of piece together. It's not written in... I'm not going to criticize the way the Bible is written, okay? But for me, it's not written in a way that I easily grasp. And when I finally saw it, it was kind of like a hidden treasure. Like, oh, I see it now. But in Romans 8.32, after he says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, somebody is against me, but it's so much smaller than who God is that it's like nothing. God can take care of the saboteur. God can take care of the darkness that tries to surround us. God can bring healing if we humble ourselves before him. He says in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, okay, saying he's given us his son already. He's given us this great gift. He who has given us his son and gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, along with his son, along with the sacrifice, graciously give us all things? Now, he's not talking about money and possessions here. He's talking about the strength to rise up. The strength to be who he made you to be. The, the strength to produce the fruit that you greatly desire in your life. That maybe some of you have even lost faith to think you could really be changed that much. His power is still active. He's still polishing you as his gem. He's still in you. He says his spirit is in you still. So please, have faith that he will graciously give you all things to produce these things in your life. Last of all, in Galatians 6, he ends his book, or comes to the end of his book, in verses 7 through 10, Paul ends his letter to these friends, to these people that he has loved, these people that he's had to rebuke and say, what are you doing who has bewitched you? Come on, get back on track. Don't keep trying to do it in your own strength. Don't try to earn your place with God. Accept that he's paid it for you. Come to the fullness that he not only brought you to this place, but that he wants to carry you through. He's not asking you to do it. He's asking you to cooperate. So he's talking to these people. And this is what he says. Verse 7 in chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he'll also reap. If you feed the saboteur, you're going to reap from the saboteur. If you feed the saboteur, it's going to produce fruit that you don't like. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit who learns to turn to Christ, put his hope in Christ, say that Christ is my full salvation, will from that spirit reap eternal life. And once again, eternal life doesn't start on the other side of, of earth. Eternal life is now. The life, the power, the force to become like Jesus. That is eternal life. Will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith. Do not give up. In due season. Maybe you don't see it now, but as you continue to turn your heart to Christ, as in every circumstance, you say, oh, God, help me. As you turn to a friend and say, God, 
Or, friend, I am struggling with this again. I was angry again. My temper got the best of me. I looked at the wrong thing online. I am this, I am that. Please help me. As we turn in humility and cooperate with the Spirit of God, you will reap. Amen? He promised, don't give up because he's for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.